Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. The president sat at his desk in the White House on a cold winter evening. He had finished his work for the day and was now ready for something he considered more enjoyable. Thus, he took out two Bibles and opened them to the story of Jesus. He then took out a knife, a razor, and proceeded to cut up one of the Bibles. The president was Thomas Jefferson, and the year was 1804. Such an act would certainly seem presumptuous, for most of us blasphemous, but for Jefferson, he found the task quite simple and delightful. Thus, he would look past the worthy parts of which he considered easily distinguishable. The other parts of which he would cut out, he considered them worthless. He would call them, of which later he would write in a letter to John Adams, diamonds in a dunghill. With those he kept, Jefferson created a brand new book which he called The Philosophy of Jesus of Nazareth. He had it bound, but he never published it. He told only a handful of his close friends about it, and the only copy that ever existed later disappeared and is now lost in history. Which some people ask, maybe it wasn't true. But it was 16 years later, he created another. The year is 1820. Retired from politics and living in Monticello, Jefferson sat down again at the age of 77 to once again edit the Bible. This time he purchased six of them, two in English, two in French, and two containing both Latin and Greek. And like before, he cut them up, creating a second edition in four languages. In this one, he kept the words of Jesus and some of his deeds, but he left out all the miracles and any suggestion that Jesus was the Son of God. The virgin birth was gone. So was Jesus walking on water, multiplying the loaves and the fish, and raising Lazarus from the dead. Jefferson's version ends with Jesus' burial on Good Friday, but there's no resurrection. There's no Easter Sunday. Jefferson called this version the life and the morals of Jesus of Nazareth. This edition survived and is currently on display at the Smithsonian Museum of American History in Washington, along with two of the Bibles that he cut up to create it. Jefferson once wrote, I am a sect by myself, commenting on his eccentric religious views. Question with boldness. He urged his nephew Peter Carr in 1787 the existence of God, because if there be one, he must more approve the homage of reason than that of blindfolded fear. And yet Jefferson also wrote, I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. He called Jesus' teachings the most sublime and benevolent code of morals which has ever been offered to mankind. He urged that we need to get back to the plain and unsophisticated precepts of Christ. But just as true, Jefferson also said, Jesus did not mean to impose himself on mankind as the Son of God. He called the writers of the New Testament ignorant, unlettered men who produced superstitions, fanaticisms, and fabrications. 
He called the Apostle Paul the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus, and he dismissed the concept of the Trinity as mere abracadabra of the mountbanks, calling themselves the priests of Jesus. I know some of you might be asking, why in the world would I read something like that? But this weekend is setting us up for the next several weeks as we launch into a new series called The Real McCoy. The Real McCoy. You know what it means. It means that somehow there's an authentic part of who that person is as the whole. It means the person is not someone that fabricates themselves or lives out a false identity, but they're real. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they always get it right. But there's something about them that makes them a real McCoy. But you know what's interesting? Few really know where it all began. No one really understands where we got that statement, the real McCoy. So I thought I would help you just a little bit. Some think it began around 1870. There was a famous brand of Scottish whiskey that was selling like hotcakes. Thus, others wanted a piece of the pie and began mixing up their own cheaper imitation. Thus, to combat some of these mock-ups, the distiller promoted his brand as what? The real McCoy. A few years later, there was a welterweight boxing champion by the name of Kid McCoy, of which his promoters in preparing for each fight called the kid the real McCoy. At the turn of the century, a Canadian inventor by the name of Elijah, Elijah McCoy had invented an engine lubricant that became quite popular with the steam engines. But when lower quality substitutes started being offered, he patented his product as what? The real McCoy. But in keeping with our series, as well as what most consider its origin, we're going to stay with the legendary feud between the Hatfields and the McCoys. A feud that came out of the Virginia common good back in the 19th century. Indeed, it was epic, stretching across many generations that literally took dozens of lives. Over time, it became a mark of pride to belong to either one of these families. But for some strange reason, it was the McCoy name that would go down in history as the expression of authenticity. Thus, whenever a person was challenged on their origin of birth, one would inevitably reply, I am the real McCoy. But again, regardless, it doesn't matter. Even though we're going to stay with this legendary feud because I think it's more today still going on even in the life of the church than maybe we dare want to admit. But it's a metaphor, isn't it? A phrase that we use to refer to the genuine article, the real thing, the real McCoy. And so for next several weeks, I'm going to pose a question over and over. Is that what people say about you when it comes to your relationship with Christ? Is that the word in your own household about who you are? As the father or the mother or a child in the family, is that what those who you work with would say about you?
in relationship to Christ. You're the real McCoy. Maybe the most important question we need to ask ourselves, is that what Jesus says about you? And if scripture was being written today, would your name like David be written, David, a man after my own heart? David, the real McCoy. The real McCoy. You know, in the book, The Hiding Place, it's the story of Corey Timboom's family who risked their lives to save their Jewish neighbors from the Nazis during World War II. At one point in the book, you can read about an interaction when Corey and her sister questioned their father about why so many professing Christians were siding with the Nazis. It made no sense. Corey said to her dad, they're part of the same church we go to. I love what her wise daddy said in response. Just because a mouse is in the cookie jar doesn't make it a cookie. Listen, listen to what Paul said about his friend, his colleague in ministry, Timothy. Philippians 2, verse 22. Most people around here are looking out for themselves with little concern for the things of Jesus. But you know yourselves that Timothy's the real thing. I want people to say that of me. That doesn't mean I get it right. But the real McCoy doesn't mean that even though we want to chase perfection in being like Christ, that when we stumble and fall, the real McCoy says, man, I blew that, I was wrong. The real McCoy. And so by way of introduction, we need to settle an issue an issue that I think our nation is struggling with. In fact, it's an issue, if I could just simply say this, it's the reason marriages are going the direction that they're going. It's the reason that the family is coming apart at a rate that's so alarming we can't even really grasp anymore. It's why churches are mostly about attendance when it's convenient rather than conviction. It's why people come and people go because it's the issue of authority. It's an issue that we've settled, but I think we've settled wrongly. And so if you got your Bibles, I want you to go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, I just want to encourage you. You need to get one. If you don't have one and you want us to get it for you, we'll be happy for that. But I want you to listen to this very carefully because you're going to need it. You're going to need one. Not just for the next series, but for your life if you really want to get it the way God really wants to give it. You need to be in the Word. See, there's something that happened this morning that you didn't even give much thought to. But it happened out of necessity because you knew that if I'm going out into the world, I need to do this one thing. Does anybody know what it is? You got dressed. Everybody look up here. Thank you. But you got dressed. And I know that you didn't give too much thought to it because I'm, anyway. Um, <laughs> but you knew it was a necessity. But I'm going to say something that you might want to chuckle at at first, but you need to listen to it very, very carefully. 
I'd rather have you here in church naked with your Bible than clothed without one. I'm going to say it again. I'd rather have you naked with your Bible than clothed without, without one. And what's crazy is that so many people, we understand the necessity of dress, but here's the sickness. In our generation, in this day and age, in this country, it seems that fashion is more important than faith. And you know why fashion is more important than faith? Because you're more committed to making an impression than letting God's word make an impact. And you'll invest all kinds of things. And you know why it is? Because fashion's only a statement of insecurity. You're still not okay with you. And here's why faith and the word is so important. Because when you understand it, God is okay with you. And when you get that and you're in the word, you just start to become okay with you. See, I have to tell you, I know this will blow your mind. I had something happen this Christmas, never happened before. You know, I'm 53. And when you get my age, there's just a lot of things that just don't matter anymore. And and believe it or not, fashion's one of them. I only dress the way I do is because my kids said, you look like crap. So... (laughs) And yet, but we had a problem because they know that, that I don't put money into stuff. I just don't. I never have. And so, but I had something happen at Christmas. Right before Christmas, I had this elderly lady come up. And, and I, I'm sorry I'm putting that date on it because she's a little older than me, okay? So, but this elderly lady came up to me and she goes, where do you shop? I was like, why would you say that? And she goes, because you dress so cool and I want to buy something for my kids. You know what I mean? And I, I don't, but here's what you need to know. What I said to her, I didn't really think about in the moment because I don't spend anything like, like lots of money. I buy everything on the sale rack. Okay? So she goes, where do you shop? And I went, clearance. <laughs> Every store has one, but they're in the back. You got to, because that's just the way I am. Because I, I'm, I'm committed to believe this ain't going to grow the church. But I'm pretty sure he will. And so I'd rather have you here with your Bibles naked than clothed without it. You need a Bible. And we want to help you with that. Because I don't want to make an impression. I want God to make an impact. And nothing will do that better than God's word. Amen, church? So we're going to talk about this issue of authority because everybody here has one. Did you know that? Everybody in this room has an authority by which they live. You got up this morning and every decision you'll make becomes from a valued truth that you call your authority. It's how you govern your marriage. It's how you raise your kids. It's how you do your work. It's how you live your life. Everybody here has an authority by which you live. The question is, when you get the desired result... Are you okay with the authority that got you there? I can't make that decision for you, but I'm going to offer one. I'm going to offer you one. How many, how many here? I'm going, to, I'm going to really be honest. How many here would love it if God would give you more of Jesus in your life? How many like more of Jesus? Can I help you with something? 
You will never get more of Jesus until you want to be more like Jesus. You might want to write that down. You're never going to get more of Jesus until in each area of your life you want to be more like him. God can't do it because you're not even faithful to what he's already given you. But in every one of those moments, something starts to tame. So we're going to start talking about the most valuable thing that you can value. That one thing that you need to chase more than anything else. Because if you'll chase it, it'll change you. So if you got your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have them, we're going to get you one after the service. You let us know. And, and I'm, I'm jacked up about this because we're going to talk about this one thing, this authority, this valued truth that I will guarantee will change you, but we've got to settle an issue. Look what the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who would judge the living and the dead, by the way, I believe there's a heaven and hell. Some people don't. That just seems like hell. Because if we're not chasing something that's bigger than us and beyond us after we breathe our last that would seem to me hell. <laughs> it's like, what's the point of living? What, well, I don't even get it. it. It pretty much says this. If there is no heaven and hell and there's nothing bigger that we're chasing, it's bigger than ourselves and beyond ourselves, that means you can only live for self. That means everybody in your life is an enemy to be defeated or something to be used to get you to where you want to go. But I believe there's a heaven and hell. And by the way, I just want to say this. And my God has never sent anyone to hell. He offers the gift of life. And I know a lot of people send themselves to hell because they don't want the gift. I just want to make that point. He's a God of grace. He's a God of goodness. He's a God of love. He wants everyone, no one to perish. He wants everyone to experience the abundant life with him forever. It just amazes me how many people don't want that. And so he created a place where his presence doesn't exist. That's a little weird for me. But look what the Bible says. I will give you this charge, Paul writing to Timothy, but I'm going to personalize myself. Oh, Keith, I believe Paul would say the same. Keith, preach the word. Notice he doesn't say preach the word according to the culture of the day. You won't find anything in the Bible that somehow God's word shifts with the shadows of time that somehow man comes along and says, well, maybe God really didn't say that and we start changing the rules. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. I think as a country, we're out of season right now. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Watch what it says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desire, their own want, their own need. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Keith, keep your head. Stay focused in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Preach the word.
preach the word. Why would he say that? I don't know if you guys noticed. Has anybody noticed that everything keeps changing and it keeps changing at a very alarming rate? Like nothing ever stays. Like, is it hard to believe that we're already into a new year? Oh, my goodness. I told my wife, I said to her last night, I said, we're almost halfway through January. This is crazy. It's hard for me. I was so excited for Christmas, and now that holiday has come, and it's gone. Everybody look up here, because everything moves so fast, and it changed. Everybody look up here. Merry Christmas. Because tomorrow is going to be here. Any, anybody notice that, that, that nothing stays the same? Anybody have that pair of shoes that you thought you'd have for life? You can't wear them now anymore, but you can't get rid of them. You just can't, you just can't bury the thought. You with me on that? Oh my goodness, everything changes. It comes, new fashions. When I was a kid growing up, we had Converse. We had Nike. One style of shoe, three different colors. Today you go in, it's like anxiety. Oh my, how about the computer? Anybody remember 186? Anybody tie that to your boat for an anchor today? Oh my goodness. Don't do it. It'll sink the boat. I'm telling you. Globalization. Talk about change. Folks, in 1954, Americans exported only 3.7% of the GDP. Anybody have an idea what it is today? Oh my goodness. It's out of this, our minds. Folks, there was a moment in time where every vehicle was made in America that Americans drove. That is a distant memory today. In fact, there's not even really a plant anymore that owns the entire vehicle of which it creates. Globalization, the unbelievable things that are happening, it's wild, it's crazy. Then you give us this thing called the cell phone. <laughs> Everything changes. Nothing is. How about your body? When's the last time you looked in the mirror? Some of you need to start looking in the mirror. I, I still one of my favorite jokes and stories is about that little old couple that they'd been working all day. She'd been out in the garden getting everything. I mean, it's past retirement. And she comes in and before they crawled into bed, she said to her husband, I just need to take a shower and rinse off. And she gets done. He's already in bed. And she's standing now out in the bedroom in a full length mirror. And she's just talking negative about her body. Look at my body. My arms are sagging. My butt's already there. I'm wrinkled from head to toe. She turns to her husband and says, is there anything about my body that you even think works right? And he says, well, your eyesight's just fine. <laughs> Everything is changing. Nothing stays. My own family. Folks, look at this picture. Oh, my goodness. We moved here, come this May, 20 years ago. And our only child was four. And now she's two years out of school. This morning, I had to get up at 4.30 and take our second child to the airport. She's on her way back to Canada. And she's going back for her second semester of her freshman year. And our youngest is eight. And oh my, it's just a quick trip. They're not my little girls anymore. 
It's just crazy. Folks, when I moved here, there was no gray on this body. (laughs) Now it's gray inside and outside, I'm telling you. I drink oil just to stay lubricated, I'm telling you. But listen to this. Mark 13, look what Jesus said. Everything is changing except one. Heaven and earth will pass away. Nothing stays the same. But my word, my word will never pass away. My word will changeth not. Isn't that incredible? But by the way, did you know there's actually one thing that does change when it comes to God's word? You and I, when we read it. You'll never be the same. D.L. Moody said, the Bible wasn't given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. The Bible calls that theopneutos. Did you know that? Meaning God breathed that the Bible's living and active. It's not some archaic book that's irrelevant because of something back when. It's just as good today. Everything we need. How to grow a marriage. How to be a dad. How to be a mom. How to live a life. Everything we need. God gave it right here. Jesus literally said in John 6, he said, the words I speak to you are spirit and are life. You know, I read a story about a man who said to his pastor, you know, I've received no inspiration. I've received no inspiration from the Bible, although I've gone through it several times. I love what his pastor said. Maybe that's the problem. May I encourage you to read it again, but this time let it go through you. It'll change. Folks, listen. You'll never change by being in the word. You will change when you let the word be in you. But that's an issue of authority. But here's what I want to get to. See, I think we've become more like Jefferson. Maybe our country didn't really start all that right and we somehow evolved to this place that we're at. Maybe we've always been there and didn't even realize it. See, I don't disrespect Thomas Jefferson. Even though he's a forefather, I just have to tell you, I already have a forefather. (laughs) I don't pay homage to a face on a mountain. I pay homage to the one who created the mountain. But I think we become a lot like Jefferson people. We, We may not cut up our Bibles in a physical way, but I think we do it in a spiritual one all the time. We pick and choose like we're standing at a buffet and we read the Bible and we go, okay, I like this, but I don't like that. I'll leave that for someone else. But God didn't make the Bible to be a buffet. He knew exactly what we needed. And we may not get it always right. And we may not understand it in its fullness, but I got to tell you, he does. That's why he wrote it and gave it to us. But it's amazing what's happening in our world right now within the church, and that's why I chose the Hatfield and McCoys. Do you find it interesting in the video? They're in church, everything's great, but the moment they walk out the doors, they go right back to their bitterness. They go right right back to the way of living they used to always live. Seems to me the church is a lot like that. See, I, I, I will have to say this. I would never ask you to ever ask or ask you to ever follow me blindly. I'm not the Christ. But I do believe in the word and it is living and active and that word is in me. 
And I do what I do because I'm called, but I wish you could respect me as much as I respect you. See, I'm not afraid to say that. See, for example, I go to a doctor and I go to a doctor because I'm so appreciative of the fact that he did the work he needed to do to get to the place that he's at. I go into the patient's room and there's a diploma on the wall. I assume that's real. And I trust when they draw the blood, he sends me to Walgreens and says, you need to take this, Keith, and everything will be fine. You know, I go to Walgreens and I do exactly what he said. But I find it interesting in the church today, we don't live underneath that umbrella. You go to my office, I have two doctorates on my wall. And yet I will stand up here and preach something that I believe that God has called me to preach. And more often than not, people come up and go, yeah, but that's your opinion. So I thought maybe what we need to do is reevaluate. Maybe I am wrong. Maybe God didn't write this or really understood us. Maybe we know better. So maybe like the world is doing right now, maybe we just need to go through the Bible and edit like Jefferson, because don't we do that? We call ourselves Christians and we trust the word, but that all those passages say sex outside of marriage is wrong, let's just get rid of those. Is that okay? Let's just get rid of them. Will that help you now? Will you grow now in Jesus? You know, all those things that Jesus talked about, finance and funds, we don't want to tithe. So let's just get rid of those words. Now we, now we don't have to worry about it. How about gossip? Christians are wonderful at it. Even though Proverbs says that God hates it, anyone who sows discord among the brethren, let's just tear those out. Gives us freedom. And when Jesus said, forgive as I've forgiven you, let's not do that. Better to hold a grudge. You don't know what they did to me. Will this work now? Will this keep you coming? Only for another week when I say something else so that week we'll let out that thing. When do we decide what God wrote is true as if somehow we think we know what truth is? But isn't that the world we're living in? We don't go to a life group to study and learn the Bible. We go to the life group to discuss whether we agree with the guy that just spoke or not. And if he won't change his ways, we'll just pick up our toys and tell everybody else in the church to hell with you, we'll go to another church. When, when, when do we decide that God knew what he was doing? And we finally admit we don't. It's an issue of authority. When do we going to decide that God knew what he was doing and he loved us with everything he had. With one breath, billions of living creatures, we just sang it, sprang into life. All that he created in the goodness and how much he desires to have that relationship with us. But it's all about authority. Jesus said, what if you love me, if you want to move in this relationship, then I say obey everything I've commanded you. But you know why we don't? We're not sure about that love. As if somehow it's in our moment to decide. 
See, it's an issue of authority. I've said it to you many times. There's only two gods in this world. There's Yahweh and your way. He didn't create this to be a buffet. He gave us all the same meal and said, you partake and digest it. It will save your souls. It will save your souls. See, let me, let me share this with you. It's been said that we aren't what we think we are. We are what we think. Behind every self-defeating act, behind every bad decision, behind every moment in our life is a truth we chose to believe. A truth that has become valued to us. But if we're going to stop defeating ourselves, we have to stop deceiving ourselves. And for that to happen, we got to start thinking differently. We have to think in a new way. We have to think in a righteous way. we got to think in a God way. That's what Paul said. In Ephesians 4, look what he says. There must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts. In Romans 12, Paul said what? He said transformation happens in the mind. When you start thinking and being different. But it's hard to go out in the world in this country and be light and darkness when we resemble the darkness more than we do light. Samuel Chadwick said, I have guided my life by the Bible more than 60 years. I just love the eloquence of how he writes this. I tell you, there's no book like it. It's a miracle of literature, a perennial spring of wisdom, a wonder of surprises, a revelation of mystery, an infallible guide of conduct, and an unspeakable source of comfort. Pay no attention to the people who discredit it. I tell you, what they speak is without knowledge. They speak out of ignorance. It is the word of God itself. Study Study it according to its own direction. Live by its principles. Believe its message. Follow its precepts. For no man is uneducated who knows the Bible. But no one is wise who's ignorant to its teachings. The B-I-B-L-E. It's the book for me. I'll stand alone, if need be, on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. I can't tell you what to do. I can't dictate that. I can't decide it. And I won't judge you either way. That's not mine to do. But I will share with you that everybody in this room governs their life by something. The question is, is it Yahweh or your way? Welcome to the real McCoy. Because revival doesn't happen out there. Revival happens in here. It happens here. You see, this is my glass to which I see the world, my lens. This is how I look at the world. I look through the word. This is the lens by which you can live, but I fear that most Christians today in this country, the world is their lens by which they choose to judge this. And so now we have pastors saying, well, maybe that's not what God really meant. Let's just get rid of that. And to tear one page out of the Bible, you just as well throw the whole thing away. Because God doesn't make mistakes. If it's in there, it's in there with a God-ordained reason. 
Whether I get it or not, I'm still going to trust it. Because I love the Bible. You ready for this? Do you know why? More importantly, because the Bible loves me. Amen. The one who wrote it. Look, look what the Bible says. All scriptures inspired by God. Paul telling Timothy, it is useful to teach what is true. All scripture is given to us by God. You have to decide. I decided. It teaches what is true. I need truth in my life. I need to know there's something that's got my back. In an ever-changing world, it's wonderful to know that something doesn't. It says this. It also makes me realize what's wrong in my life. I need correction. I need it in my life. I need something that I can trust enough that loves me enough to tell me when I'm wrong. But it also teaches me to do what is right. It shows me how to live. Watch what his promises. For this is God's way of preparing us in every way. This is God's way of preparing us in every way. Fully equipped for every good thing that God wants. David was right. This is truly a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When he wrote in Psalm 1, Blessed are those who meditate upon the word of God day and night. They will be like a tree planted by the rivers of life. And they will grow in season and everything they do will prosper. I love this book. I don't always get it. I don't always understand it, but I'm not giving up on it because the one who wrote it will never give up on me. We need to settle the issue of authority. Folks, there's a lot of new thought in this world, new truths, and they're changing all the time. But there's an old one that never does. And I'm going to build on it because Jesus said it's like a rock. When the winds blow and the rain falls, you shall not be moved. As for me and my house, we made a decision. What's yours? What's your authority? What's your standard by which you live? What's the truth by which you value? What's the voice by which you're going to give your allegiance? You're doing it already. The question is, is it Yahweh or your way? I want to invite the team to come and I just want to pray. Father, You are so amazing. I know I'm not. You're so good. I'm very aware I'm not. Your love never shifts like a shadow when the sun is coming and the sun is going. I know my love can be. I'm very aware of who I'm not. But in your word, I'm growing more and more aware of who you are. An amazing God, a loving God. You didn't write this book to confuse us, to mess us up. You didn't write it to throw us off, if you will, in a very negative way. God, yes, there's things I read and it hurts to have to face the reality of like looking in a mirror. But you didn't write it to hurt me. You actually wrote it that I'd quit hurting me and that I'd have hope. God, your love letters like no other. Like no other. And it's time for us to look at several things in our lives and ask the honest question, am I the real McCoy? I want to be the real McCoy. 
And I pray that's the heart of everybody in this room. And God, in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity for decision. But church, as your eyes are closed, I want you to listen to this very carefully. Right now in East Asia, in the last six months, 360 churches have been planted and more than 10,000 new believers have been baptized. In China, in Kingong County alone, they planted 236 churches in one month. Back in 2002, in one movement to the country of China, 15,000 new churches were planted and over 160,000 new believers baptized one year. In the 1990s, Christians in Latin America were dealing with relentless government persecution. Nothing like we think persecution is. What we're going through in this country is child's play. There was only 235 churches and now there's more than 4,000 in the heart of India, one church planting movement produced 4,000 new churches in seven years. In 2001, they were planting a new church every 24 hours. Why do I say all that? Why is that not happening in this country? Why are we not experiencing God like that? You know, when I was in my prayer walk, you know what God said to me? You don't want to be the real McCoy. You don't want me. You don't think you need me. And my heart is wanting to just cry before God in repentance and say, God, I'm so sorry. Revival doesn't happen throughout the nation until we let it happen within our own lives. Hence the series that we're going to walk through, this real McCoy. Seven areas of our lives that we need to really get and deal before God and get back to what it means to chasing Him, trusting His Word, and letting Him do in us what only He can do. Church, I'm just asking that we would be broken. And in this series, that we would get into a life group, every person, one more time in a two and a half day period, I wrote 49 devotionals, daily devotionals, to walk you through a journey that we would be the real McCoy and take honest looks at our lives. I'm asking everybody to get involved. I'm asking everybody to reach out and say, tell someone, come with me. And let's grow deeper in Christ. And let's make sure that others are coming to know this Christ. And they too can be on the same journey of the real McCoy. God, I say thank you in advance for what you're going to do. What you're going to do. As the team sings, I'm just going to invite you if you want to come to the altar. There's people who would love to pray with you. But I'm asking our church to be broken before God and say, God, I just want... I want to settle the issue of authority. I want to trust your word. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust it. And we're going to start letting God's word move in us and through us like never before. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, 
consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.